0: So for those of you who are uninitiated, the show Community tells the story of an eclectic group of students who are studying at Greendale Community College. And uh, this group begins their journey together as a study group. They're in Spanish class studying together, but eventually over the course of several seasons they grow into becoming so much more. Through the ins and outs in life and the ups and downs of being being students at a community college, they actually become a community. They become a family. And in the scene that we're seeing here, uh, they are realizing for the first time that they're not just study buddies, they're actually a community. Now, the show Community has a lot of potential life lessons to offer us, but kind of the big overarching theme of this show unsurprisingly, given its name, is in fact the importance of community. One of the big lessons is that we can't go through life by ourselves. We need other people. We can't do life on our own. In fact, that's what the word community means. The word community means coming together with, one together. We need other people, We need to be together with other people. A few years ago, a friend of mine shared with me that uh, he had decided to become a prepper. If you don't know what a prepper is, preppers are folks who think the world is going to end fairly soon, and so they amass large quantities of water and canned beans and toilet paper and all sorts of other things in their basement. And I was talking to my friend about his prepping, and I said, hey, why, like, what are you thinking? Why are you doing this? What's going on? And he said, Jacob, uh, when the world gets bad, when bad things happen and a bunch of people die, I want to live. I want to make it on my own after the apocalypse. Now, there might be some problems with that thinking. There might be some uh, benefits benefits to that thinking. Um, I always wonder about preppers uh, when it comes to very practical things like um, what are you going to do when your manufactured toilet paper runs out? It's always a question that goes through my mind, Um, but that's that's okay. Uh, we We can deal with that. A totally different sermon will cover that topic. But the, the thing, the issue I have with prepping is, yeah, you might actually, your food and your water might help you make it to the end of the world. I mean, my friend has a lot of beans in his basement, so it's entirely possible he's gonna live for years and years, but even if you make it with the food you have, you're still gonna be missing something. You're gonna be missing other people. You're gonna be missing community. It might be great to be the last person alive on Earth, but that's really gonna be terrible. Because as humans, we're made for connection. We're made for community. We actually need other people. As John Donne famously said, no man is an island. And so the truth of who we are is that all of us, even preppers, need community. And this is unsurprising if you sit and think about it for a second. You know you need community. I know you need community. We all know we need community because that's how we live our lives. We live our lives in community. We all socialize and work and play and come to church in community. We're all a part of a lot of different communities. We belong to libraries and homeowners associations, neighborhood watches. We have uh, communities with a cause that we belong to. We join the American Red Cross or Samaritan's Purse. Uh, Some of us uh, have communities at school or communities at work that we participate in. Uh, Many of us are on social media. That's what social media is. It's an attempt to have an online community. Some of you, and I really don't understand those of you like this, some of you actually try to have community at your gym. Why you would ever want to enjoy going to your gym, I don't know, but some of you are that way. And of course, we have communities at church, as well. All of our lives, we're surrounded by and participating in communities, including here at church. Now, maybe some of you are like this, maybe some of you have belonged to a community in a church that was pretty indistinguishable from all those other kinds of community. I know I have experience in a church that was really just a country club for Christians, You came in, you paid your dues, you did your thing, you left, and you didn't think about it anymore. But the church isn't supposed to be like the YMCA. The church isn't supposed to be like the Elks Club. The church is supposed to be different. The church is supposed to be a different kind of community. And so this morning, as we begin to wind down our series on what the church was meant to be, we're going to be thinking about the church as community, as a collection of all of us together. And as we think about the church's community, I want us to consider kind of two major issues. The first issue is this. If the church is supposed to be a community, what's it supposed to look like? If we're a church, if we're supposed to be all together, how do we live our lives? That's the first thing. And the second thing is... If the community of the church is supposed to be a community, how should we be different than other communities? What should be the distinguishing marks of the church? How should the church be different than the YMCA or the Rotary Club? And I think to address these two issues, the best place to look is at the words of Jesus. Jesus. In the Gospel of John, shortly before he was crucified and died, Jesus said some things to his disciples. He communicated a lot of information and a lot of information about community as well. And so look with me at what Jesus has to say in John chapter 13. He says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, if you read in your Bible, you've probably heard these words from Jesus before. But I don't want us to brush past this. I don't want us to rush through the power of these two verses. Because it's really fundamentally important to understand what these verses are saying so that we can understand what the church's community is supposed to look like. So listen and read again what Jesus is saying here. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, Jesus is saying that People are going to recognize Christians. People are going to recognize those who follow him by their love. This is our command. This is our marching orders to love each other. Now, the idea of love is one that has a lot of cultural currency. If you uh, look out in our world today, a lot of people are talking about love. But if you use our culture's conception of love, you actually miss The radicality, you miss the message that Jesus is really giving us with this verse. Because when Jesus talks about love, he's not talking about how you feel. He's not talking about something that's you focused or me focused. He's not talking about an idea that's popular or politically correct. Jesus is not telling you here to follow your heart. You see, when Jesus talks about love, he's not talking about love that's about me. He's talking about love that's about all of us. Love each other. Love each other. Do things for one another, the New Testament says, over 100 times. You see, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, because of his death and resurrection, the church is supposed to be filled with people who are outdoing one another in love. That's how the church is supposed to be different than the other communities around us. We're supposed to be love-centered. We're supposed to be other-centered. We're supposed to be about sacrificing for each other. We're supposed to be about submitting to each other, bearing one another's burdens. We're supposed to be all about loving each other. Look at the people around you. Actually, look at the people around you. Do you love those people? (laughs) Guys, the world isn't going to know that you follow Jesus because of your social media account. They're not going to... Oh, Matt's very surprised at that. People aren't going to know that you love Jesus uh, because of your cool Christian t-shirt. They're not going to know you follow Jesus because of what you do on a Sunday morning. They're not going to know you love Jesus because of your Joy FM bumper sticker. Sorry, Nick. They're not going to know you love Jesus because of your cool rooftop swag. Sorry, Heather. People aren't going to know that you follow Jesus because you pray over your lunch today when you're eating out. They're not going to know that you follow Jesus because you read your Bible or because you shop at one of the two Christian bookstores left in America. (laughs) People only know, people are only able to tell that you really follow Jesus, that you really belong to the big C church that follows Jesus when you love those people sitting next to you. When you love one another. Look at those people again. Do you love those people? Do you know the names of those people? Love for each other has to be the hallmark of the church. We have to be known for our love. That's what Jesus is saying. They will know you follow me by your love for each other. And the indicator of a loving church is a church that does life together. Because, see, it's easy to walk in here on a Sunday morning and go, hey, it's great to see you, Laura. I hope you have a great week. I love you. And it is much harder to walk out those doors and to love people throughout the week. And so the key reality that we have to grapple with here, the key fact about the church's community is that the church is called to do life together. We're called to share our lives together. Because the love that Jesus is talking about here is not some abstract idea where we can just say things. It actually has to be something that we do, it has to be something that we live, something that we practice. Because love and shared life go hand in hand. Married couples who love each other don't just say, I love you, and then go live in two separate states. Parents don't say they love their children and then abandon them to fend for themselves. People who say they love their extended family actually get together over Thanksgiving. Love and shared life go hand in hand. This is one of the best parts of my job here at Rooftop, is I'm actually allowed to spend time with the people I love. I can go home for lunch with my family. I can arrange my schedule so that I can tuck my kids into bed at night. I can take my kids with me to conferences and we can travel together like we did this past week. Brie and Judah came to a church planting conference with us. It was hard, but it was great because you spend time with the people you love. Love and shared life go hand in hand. And the earliest followers of Jesus knew this. They knew that the church was meant to share life together, and so they shared life together. The book of Acts, which comes right after the Gospels in the New Testament, uh, describes the history of the early church. And in Acts 2, we read this about the early church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They gathered together, they ate together, they prayed together, they celebrated together. They supported one another. They literally sold their stuff to help people who needed money. They worshiped together, they gathered together, they grew together. Guys, the early church did not come together once or twice a week for a couple of hours and say, all right, I'm good. Day by day, they gathered together. And when they gathered together, when they came together as a community, they changed the world. There are over two billion Christians in the world today, two, peop- two billion people who say that they follow Jesus, and every single one of them can trace their spiritual legacy to the hundred, couple hundred people that Acts is talking about. It is no surprise that this passage ends that the Lord and says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Because when the church is a community, when the church shares life together, God does amazing things. How would your life be different if your church lived in community like the early church? How would your life be different if rooftop? was a community like the early church? What would it look like for us to gather together every day for worship? What would it look like if we ate together every day, if we grew together every day? What if our community really was a community like it's talked about in Acts? Now, I actually think that over the past several months, There has been something that's happened in our church that's given us a glimpse into what it means to really share life together. A few months ago, there was a rooftopper who was in need of a kidney donation, and she came to her small group, and she just asked her small group to pray for this kidney donation that she needed so badly and some of the members of that small group took it upon themselves to go get tested and to go see if maybe they could be a match for their friend, and lo and behold, one person was. And then about a month ago, that person donated a kidney to her friend. Now, please don't miss the enormity of that act. I think far too often we come to church or we hear these nice little stories and we're like, oh, this is so cool. Someone help. Guys, someone took a part of their body and gave it to another person sitting near you so that they could have it in their body. That's crazy. That's radical. That's amazing. That is what the church is supposed to be like. That is literally sharing life together. This is what we're called to do. We're called to sacrifice and love one another. Look at those people around you again. Would you sacrifice your body for them? That's what we're called to do. Would you give up your own comfort to bring your fellow Christian life? Now, to be honest, I'm not actually saying that we all need to go donate kidneys, although there are something like 100,000 people who need kidneys in the world, so actually maybe more of us should donate kidneys. But what I am saying is that this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. This is love for one another. This is life together. This is what we're called to be as a church, we're called to be a community that does life together, through the good, through the bad, and through the ugly. Now, I know life in community isn't easy. In fact, a lot of the time it's really hard. It's really messy. It's painful. I was part of a community once where we devolved into settling arguments via fistfight. Community can be hard. We're all still sinners. We all still screw up. We all still need to extend to one another grace and forgiveness. But just because something's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Life in community is where we can meet people and get to know people and say, there is the image of God in you. Being in community is where we can love one another, where we can show God's love to one another, where we can show the world God's love. That's what we're called to do in community. Pastor Tim Keller says that we can't know God, change deeply, or change the world apart from community. And so we need to ask, where can each of us share life with someone as an act of God's love? How can you love someone by sharing your life with them? church was meant to share life together. This is true of the early church, it's true of scripture, it's been true of the church throughout history. But there's another reason that we should share life together, and it's a theological reason. So buckle up for a second, hang in there with me for a second, I want to talk about one of the theological reasons for life together as a community. You see, those of us who follow Jesus, uh, one of our goals, our end in life, is to become like Jesus, And the thing that you need to know about Jesus, perhaps more than any other thing, is that Jesus is God. Now, very uniquely, Jesus is God and he's man. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And if that's confusing to you, that's okay. I would love to talk with you after service, or I'd like to recommend that you check out our Summer in the Sun series that we got through earlier this year. But Jesus is 100% God. But even though Jesus is 100% God, he's not 100% of God. Jesus is 100% of God, but he's, he's 100% God, but he's not 100% of God. Because according to Christianity, there is Father, Son, and Spirit who make up God. We call this the Godhead, or you probably have heard the word Trinity, one God exists in three persons. That's what Christians historically believe about God. In the words of a very early Christian creed, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. All three are God, yet there are not three gods, but one God. And we worship their trinity and unity and their unity in their trinity. Now, don't let your eyes glaze over yet. I promise this matters. This matters... Because the very concept of the Trinity reveals that God Himself lives in community. God Himself lives in community. Do you remember what community means? One together. That's what Christians believe about God that Father, Son, and Spirit are one together. And if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for us too, right? If God lives in community, if God shares life together, we can share life together. That's what it means. Church shares its life together because the members of God share their life together. There's no subordination, there's no more important person in the the Godhead, and therefore in the church we believe that there's no person who's more important than any other. First John 4 says that God is love and therefore in the church we should be marked by love. Guys, we share life together in the church. The church is called to be a community not just because of what Scripture says and because of the history of the church but because of who our relational Trinitarian God is. That's why we're in community because God himself is in community. And that's why there should be no such thing as a solitary Christian. There should be no such thing as a Christian who's on their own and by themselves. Theologian Daryl Bach says that God does not bring us into fellowship with him and make us a part of his people to function in isolation. What we do, we're supposed to do together. The church was meant to share life together. And so my challenge for you this morning is simply this. Where can you share your life with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Where can you share your life? Where can you share your life with your community? Maybe you're here this morning and you need help with something. You've been walking down a long, hard road. You've been trying to do things by yourself, but you can't do it by yourself. You're struggling with addiction. You're struggling with the pain of your past. You're struggling with the uncertainty of your future. You need help. Perhaps this morning you need to lower your defenses and share that with someone in your community so that your community can help you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've been keeping yourself at a distance. You're too busy for your church community. Your church community can't really give you what you need. You're, you're fine coming out on a Sunday morning, but you don't want to connect with people. They're not worthy of your time. You've got more important things to do. Maybe this morning you need to recommit yourself to the community of the church. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never been in community with God. Maybe you've never been in any real community. Maybe You used to go to church and you just kind of wandered back in here today. If that's you, I want to encourage you, maybe today you're supposed to stop and you're supposed to talk to Jesus about becoming part of his community or becoming part of his community again. Wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, remember, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We are all meant to be sharing life together. And to close out our time together this morning, I want to share one more story of community with you. As many of you know, I spent a semester abroad studying at the University of Oxford. And uh, when I went, or before I went to Oxford, I kind of expected it to be like every other stop in my college journey. I expected to go and meet some people, maybe make some friends. I expected to eat some really terrible college food. I expected to spend a lot of money and I hoped that I would learn something. But as I got to Oxford and I began my time there, something unexpected happened. Community. You see, I'd gone to Oxford with the same expectation that I was going everywhere else with. I thought that, yeah, I'd go to class with people, but I'm basically gonna do life on my own. I'm gonna, these are gonna be my experiences, these are gonna be my things that I do. But as I got to know My cohort, as I got to live and interact and work with my friends, we became a community. We learned together, yes, but we also laughed together. We took campy band pictures together. We cried over papers together. We ate really terrible English food together. We supported people when bad things happened, when laptops didn't work, or wallets were stolen. We came alongside people as they struggled through addictions to food, or lust, or nicotine. We laughed together, we cried together, and one of the best moments of our time as a community was when one of the members of our group decided she needed to be baptized while she was in Oxford. And we were there studying theology together. So, of course, there were lots of differing opinions, lots of viewpoints on what baptism was and how it should happen and whether this person should get baptized or not. There was a lot of discussion and debate. And then when she made the decision to get baptized, all of that stopped. And we came together. And we supported her. And we celebrated what God was doing in her life. And on the day she got baptized, we were all there in the front row, all the Americans in the English church, making a big old noise, worshiping God and celebrating what he was doing. You see, in our time together, we weren't just doing life once or twice a week. We weren't just doing life together when we felt like it. We were doing life together all the time. We were really, truly sharing life together. We really and truly were becoming a community. Imagine if that kind of community was what the church could be known for. Imagine if the big C church was known not as a place of infighting and division, but as a place of shared life together. Imagine if rooftop was known as a place of community. Imagine if people drove by during the week out here and said, look at rooftop, look at that church where they do life together where there are a real community. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine how the world could be changed if we did life together. Because you see, guys, that's what we're supposed to do. The church was meant to be a place where we share life together. The church was meant to be a community where we love one another and we experience God's love for each of us together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and for your church. Thank you for this rooftop community that you've blessed us with here on earth. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us and to rise for us, to rise for your church so that we can have new life, so that we can have your life in the here and the now together and in eternity with the whole community of your church in heaven. Father, thanks for making the church a place where we can share life, where we can walk alongside each other through the good and through the bad, through celebrations and through sadness. Father, thanks for making the church where we can share life as we run after you. I ask now that you strengthen us, you strengthen our community, you strengthen our church, and that you would equip us to follow you together. And now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations reverend ever